Saturday. CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Hey there, Options Actions fans. I'm Leslie Picker, in for Melissa Lee. We have a big show on deck. Here's what's coming up. Stocks soar to all-time highs. But will rising risks derail the rally? If you think we're in for a September sell-off, Mike Coe lays out a way to take some protection. Plus, a tale of two charts in the cloud. Chartmaster Carter Worth sees the best of times and the worst of times for two big names reporting earnings next week. And later, chew on this... Tony Zhang is finding big opportunity in this $37 billion company on deck with results. We'll lay out the trade. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. All right, let's get right to it. We start with a record finish to the trading week on Wall Street. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ closing at new all-time highs. But Mike Coe says beware there are three risks, rising risks, that could derail the record run. Mike, kick us off. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, here we are. We're at all-time highs. I think it's pretty clear that one of the reasons that we are at all-time highs is because of Powell's comments that a lot of people were trying to digest today. Those seemed fairly dovish. But I think it's important for investors to remember that, of course, he's not going to sort of lay shocks on the market. We have a big FOMC meeting coming up in September. We are essentially getting prepared for tapering. But of course, the tapering, this is a really significant issue because the Fed has been purchasing about $120 billion worth of bonds every single month, about $80 billion worth of treasuries and $40 billion worth of mortgage securities. Now, the degree of that tapering, if inflation risks persist, is definitely a headline risk for the market. We saw that in the last taper tantrum in 2018. And another risk, I think, certainly is that we are going to be passing Labor Day. That may not seem like uh, a really seminal event necessarily for the markets to, to essentially say the end to summer. But the truth is that actually we're entering a historically volatile period for the market. A lot of people consider October to be a volatile period, but September tends to be too. These are two of the most volatile months that we typically see. So I think that obviously presents a risk. And then, of course, we got a little bit of a taste of geopolitical risk this week. But I think the important thing to remember is that we always have geopolitical risks. We always have macro risks. But it's when you have those in conjunction with a relatively complacent market, an uncorrected market, a market that is at all-time highs and that has valuations very close to those that we saw in 2000 before, obviously, we had a significant pullback in tech stocks. I think all three of those things put us essentially in a fairly precarious spot. Mm. Tony, what's your take? What do you make of those three risks and what it means for the markets? Yeah, so when you take a look at Jackson Hole and the price action from the market here today, largely it hasn't changed the base case here. 
But as Mike said, as we reach new all-time highs here in equities, and we start to see signs of slowdown here in the second half due to the Delta variant, we see more geopolitical risks now with Afghanistan, it is prudent, in my opinion, to start looking at buying some protection. However, the challenge here is the fact that the implied volatility of the market has not moved down significantly here over the past couple of months. So buying protection here is actually a little bit expensive. So this is really where I think it makes sense to take a look at certain spreads to potentially lower the cost of buying these puts uh, potentially on the market. Carter, what do you make? Tony said the P word, protection. Well, you agree? Yeah. Let me uh, let me just throw out something that we just uh, worked on team technicals at Cornerstone from the statistician extraordinaire Jillian Tarlow. Consider the following. Uh, in the month of August, we've now made 10 new intraday highs in the S&P. That has not happened since August of 1987. And the record number of intraday highs in the month of August is 11. And that was in 1929. Do analogs always play out? Does this have to be 1987 or 1929? Of course not. But these are the things that start to register when you're having a conversation about the P word, protection, how to take measures in the event of a market drawdown. Seasonally, this is the worst period of the year. We do know that the August, September, October three-month period of all rolling three-month periods is the only one that is negative, 1928 to present. Wow. Well, I am no financial historian, but you know what happened in 1929 and 1987. So if you think another P word, pullback, is coming, Mike has a way to use options to take some cover. Mike. Yeah, so I think one way that one could consider hedging some of your exposure, and really what I'm talking about is hedging a potential correction. Correction is usually defined as a, as a pullback of about 10% or more, is to take a look at buying put spreads on SPY. Now, SPY, of course, is the ETF that tracks the S&P 500, so it's a good proxy for many equity portfolios. I was looking out to November. Of course, that's going to capture that three-month period, or at least the second two months of it that Carter was just talking about, the 440-400 put spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could spend about $9.70 for those 440 puts, sell the 400s against it for about $3.95, spending $5 and uh, a little more, essentially, to buy some protection. Now, you'll notice that that lower strike, that 400 strike that I'm selling, is about a 10% pullback from where the market is right now. And, of course, we're selling that put to mitigate the slightly elevated implied volatility that Tony was just talking about. But I will say, with these risk factors, and given the fact that we've had such a run here, I actually think that the prices for these options is justified. Mm, good to know. Uh, as the market grapples with rising risks to the rally, one of our traders says there is still big opportunity out there, especially as we head into the final days of earnings season. Tony, what name are you watching heading into next week? Yeah, Leslie, I want to take a look at Chewy. This company has seen incredible growth during the pandemic. But I think for investors going into earnings next week, I think the opportunity here is as it, focuses, as it starts to focus here on profitability in 2021. If you look at the chart itself here of Chewy, the stock had a very incredible run to start off the year, but that quickly faded. And it spent the better half of this year trying to get itself back up to that 87.5 level where it roughly started the year on. And since over the past month or so, it's been building a bit of a base above that level. And I think going into earnings next week is what it carries it a little higher here. And if you look at the business itself, valuations are 
are quite stretched here for this particular business. But if you look at the stock, if you look at the business, they've been able to sustain multiple quarters of 40% plus year-over-year -year revenue growth. So I think it, these rich valuations are somewhat justified. And if you look at the earnings itself, right now the market is implying about a 9% move. But over the past eight quarters, the stock has only moved on average of about 6%. So when you take into account the fact that the stock is trading at fairly rich valuations, which means that upside may be somewhat limited, and the fact the implied volatility are so elevated, the trade structure that I prefer to use going into earnings is to sell a put spread. So I'm going out to the October 1st weekly options and I'm selling the $90, $83 put vertical. Now, earlier today when I was looking at this, I was able to sell the October 90s for about $6.20 and pay $3.20 for the October, 80, uh, October 1st 83 puts. Net-net here, I'm collecting about $3 or just shy of about 40% of the vertical width. But because the stock is down a couple of bucks here today, I do think for investors who are looking at this trade on Monday, you might want to adjust the strikes down by about two bucks or so, the 8880 uh, on Monday morning when you place this trade. I was hoping just for purely options pun purposes, you were going to say a collar option, but that's okay. Mike, what's your take on Tony's trade? Yeah, so I, I think that obviously in situations where you have catalysts like this, we often will see after the news comes out something we sometimes call vol suck. And basically what that means is that a lot of the extrinsic premium of the options comes out once that catalyst has passed. And if you can take advantage of that along with a directional view as Tony has done, that actually sets up as a very good trade. In fact, this is one of the higher probability trades that somebody can enter into when you're using options. When you sell options, obviously, three things can happen. Two of them are good. If the stock stays where it is or if it goes in your chosen direction, you'll be profitable. And of course, since he's using a spread and not just selling puts naked, this is a situation where he's not going to face unlimited downside risk either. All right. Well, we are just getting started. As a reminder, for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Up next, it's cloudy with a chance of profits. Two big cloud names report results next week. How you can play one for a breakout and the other for a breakdown. Plus... Calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Welcome back to Options Action. Call it a tale of two cloud stocks. The chart master says it could be the best of times and the worst of times for two big names reporting results next week. Carter, let's take one of these. Let's take these one by one, starting with Zoom. What is the setup into earnings? 
Well, so that's the worst of times, one, if we're going to start with the bad one, which is fine. So the, the issue with Zoom, I have two charts, we can jump right in. The first chart, you can see where we are. We're at a major inflection point. You can call it the apex of a wedge or a triangle, doesn't matter what you call it. It's a standoff. But the key is this. We know that that great run-up, obviously pandemic-related, essentially Zoom goes from 50 to 600, more than a 10-bagger, drops 50%, and now here it sits in the apex uh, of these converging lines. How does it get resolved? You see I've drawn an arrow there to the downside, but look at the next chart, and this is what I'm keying off of. What we know is that the bottom panel here is relative performance to the iShares tech and software ETF, IGV, and on a relative basis, it's already broken down through the lower uh, line, the, the converging lines we've already breached. And so the thinking here is that this, which has been a very weak stock, stays weak, and does not do anything but something unhappy in response to earnings. All right, starting with the bad news first. So if this stock is indeed zooming lower, how do you play it? Mike, you've got one way to do it. Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure if it's going to zoom lower, but I do think that there are some significant headwinds, and I don't see it zooming higher. And one of the things is, I mean, Zoom is a product. I think we all use it. I use it pretty much every single day. But of course, they do see increasing competition from the likes of Teams, which is a Microsoft product. Slack has introduced some calling and conferencing functions, and they obviously are heavily used. And of course, one of the important things about this earnings season is that we've seen many high valuation stocks struggle even off of fairly good results. And I'm not sure that the results we're going to get are going to beat relatively high expectations here. So the trade I was looking at was going to take advantage of the fact that I think there are headwinds, that I also think that options prices are elevated. I was looking at selling the September 350, 360 call spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could collect close to $13 for those 350 calls, spend about $9.50 on the 360s. Net-net, you're collecting about three and a half bucks on this. I think that trade, the price of it may have been adjusted very slightly as um, the close approached. But the idea here is very similar to the type of trade that Tony was taking a look at, trying to take advantage of elevated options premium, trying to get a trade that has a relatively high probability of profit, and trying to pick a direction or at least be neutral on the stock. And that's what I think we're doing here. Tony, what's your take on Zoom? Yeah, if you look at the chart on Zoom, the 345 level is key. The fact that we recently broke below that this week, I think, is a suggestion of what's to come, especially if you think about the underperformance of Zoom relative to its sector and relative to even high beta, which has been a relative underperformer here for the market. So unfortunately, I think Zoom is heading lower. And the credit spread that Mike is using, very similar to the trade that I'm using in Chewy, makes a lot of sense for this bearish view, especially with that 345 level. His break-even price on the credit on the credit spread is about 353, just slightly above that resistance level I'm referring to. So as long as it stays below 345 or even moves a little bit higher, this strategy will be profitable going into earnings. All right. CrowdStrike also reporting results next week. Carter, I'm guessing this is the best of times when you look at the charts. Well, it, it, it certainly is uh, good times. And let's look at the chart. Two charts. The first is just what you see it is. It's a steady orderly uptrend, and every time the stock has come down to trend, you can see the arrows annotating it is bounced to the penny. Earnings coming. We gapped up earlier in the week. Very bullish price volume correlation. The presumption is more to come. And now, look at the relative. Same relative circumstance in terms of what we're plotting it against. As opposed to Zoom, look at the relative performance of CrowdStrike 2 again the iShares tech, software, and ETF IGV. 
that's a coiled spring, meaning it hasn't made any relative progress since December. But that's the setup for the breakout, and we think it's going to do it in response to earnings. All right, Mike, how are you treating CrowdStrike? Yeah, so one of the things that Carter just said, coiled spring, what he's talking about is not that the stock actually has some level of support, but that it's actually going to advance. And that's one of the reasons why I'm actually taking a look at using a debit call spread here. Now, I would quickly point out that we saw a lot of bullish activity in CrowdStrike options earlier this week as people were looking to play earnings on the upside. I'm looking out a little further than most of that activity, which was concentrated in the options that expire a week from today, the weeklies. I'm instead looking out to October, the 290-330 call spread. When I was looking at that earlier, you could spend about $16 for the lower 290 strike and sell the higher strike for about five and a half bucks, maybe a little bit less. Net-net, you're spending just under $11 or so to make this bullish bet. That's very close, by the way, to sort of the risk-reward payoff profile that we like when we use debit spreads, which is typically a payoff of about three to one. So we're spending just a little more than a quarter of the distance between the strikes. And notice also that we're giving ourselves a little bit more time to play out when we're using debit spreads than we are for the credit spreads. Tony, what's your take on Mike's trade? Yeah, so I quite like this trade because the debit spread really gives you a very efficient way to take a directional view. He's only risking about 3.5% of the stock's value to get about a 3 to 1 payoff here on CrowdStrike. And this is a stock that I was quite bearish on last week when it broke below 245. Big turnaround here this week, and not only is it outperforming the sector that... uh, uh, Carter was pointing out. It's outperforming the market. It's outperforming tech. It's outperforming the cybersecurity sector. All of these uh, look good going into earnings. All right. We will keep an eye on that next week. Up next, we're taking your tweets. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. One viewer asks, they say volume adds weight to price. That is not happening with Salesforce, though, which gapped up on more than four times average daily volume only to be struggling on a strong tape today. I was long September 3rd, 280 calls in front of the print, and they're now down 80%. Roll out or walk away. Tony, what do you say? Yeah, so I think your view here on the chart is absolutely correct. Volume does add weight to the chart. However, what I think is a little bit um, concerning here is the time frame that you're using the options for that particular view. Because when we think about this type of chart pattern, a, a, a breakaway here, usually you need quite a few weeks in order for that to establish and, con- and to continue higher here. So this is part of why on our Salesforce trade last week, we used an October expiration. Uh, the call spread that we use is about up about 35% since we've entered this particular trade. So you want to buy yourself a little bit more time, but your chart views are absolutely correct. Carter, what do you make of the chart views? Well, so here's the thing. It, it, was a, it, it lent a lot of weight to price. There was a huge heavy volume up thrust and gap, and it was news-related earnings. This is a normal reaction. We almost have filled the gap. It's an aggressive buy, buy more. Uh, yes, your time frame is a little tough. You've only got a few days, but very bullish circumstance. Mike, what do you say as a viewer puts it, roll out or walk away here? Yeah, I mean, obviously rolling out would correct basically the situation that both Carter and Tony have identified with only a week to go. 
you definitely want to give yourself a little bit more time when you are taking on long options plays, unless they're really just related to the catalyst. But it sounds like you have a view that goes on a little bit beyond that. All right. Our next viewer asks, thoughts on the SLV Silver ETF. Will it tag 30 by the end of the year? Time to buy some call options. Mike, what's your thought? Yeah, so fundamentally, I rather like silver, although obviously if you've been taking a look at how it's been behaving, it certainly would seem that 30 is a long way off from where we are right now. I actually would expect, even if we do get a rally, that it's probably going to run into a little bit of trouble up around that 26 level. So the trade that I would probably use for something like this would be a low or, or zero cost call spread risk reversal, selling some perhaps 10% out of the money puts and using those proceeds to help finance the purchase of an upside call spread, maybe the 24-26 or the 23-26 call spread. That would cost close to, to zero at this point and basically give you a downside buffer of about 10%, but give you participation up to an anticipated level of resistance. Tony, what's your take? How do you trade this? Yeah, so I like silver from a charting perspective. You have a nice range between 22 and 27 or so, and Mike basically read my mind. I think buying calls here makes a lot of sense, but I also like selling puts as well at the same time to fund the purchase of those calls. Uh, so that's exactly how I would play it. Carter, how do you look at this chart from a technical standpoint? Sure, I think just in terms of addressing the 30, I mean, the odds of hitting 30 by the end of the year uh, are close to zero. Uh, that being said, uh, there's no reason you can't get 25, 26. That's where the overhead supply is. I would be long and play for those levels. Our next viewer asks, will the gap in Amazon be filled? Carter, back over to you. What do you think? You betcha. So Amazon, think of what, what happened similar to Netflix, a big winner that then goes in a range for almost a year. And rather than breaking out on its earnings, it broke down, gapped down. Uh, but the damage is contained just as it was in Netflix. And just as you see Netflix climbing back now, Amazon, too, uh, is likely to not only fill that gap, but ultimately break out and make new highs. If you're Mike, long, you, you stay. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it's really hard to bet against this company. I mean, uh, they basically execute in mo many areas. We continue to see good growth. I think they're getting decent margins at long last. People for forever were asking, when is this company going to see profits? And of course, now we are beginning to see them. They've invested in their business. They've done so very wisely. And I do like Amazon in the long term. All right. Good stuff, guys. Thank you so much for being here. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Don't go anywhere. A special edition of Fast Money starts right after this break. Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 930 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC.